You're listening to The Exchange for Evolution, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the APEC region. I am Danelle, Senior Consultant in Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today, I am your host. So welcome everyone on today's episode of the podcast, where we'll be exploring the tech scene in Singapore and the US. I am delighted to be joined by two senior thought leaders within the space who have had actually first-hand experience working in both Singapore and US. Um, Harry Nair from Zuno Carbon and Lionel Fong from GetGo. So um, great to have you guys on the episode. To start off with, it would be great if we could get a quick introduction from each of you guys. Um, maybe we can start with Lionel. Sure. Thanks for the uh, introduction, Danielle. My name is Lionel Fong. Uh, I am the Chief Product Officer of GetGo Technologies. Um, I'm Singaporean, uh, I, but I've only been in um, this country for a year and a half now. Um, like Danielle mentioned, uh, I spent about 20 years uh, working in um, cities across the United States. Uh, I had a stint in management consulting uh, in New York City, um, worked in uh, the Bay Area and uh, in, in various um, big tech as well as uh, startups. Um, so just been back for about a year and a half now. And uh, since coming back, I've joined uh, Gaggo Technologies and uh, been the head of products for them. And Harry? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Daniel, for the introduction and having me on the podcast. So my name is Harry Nair. I'm the one of the co-founders and the CEO of Zuno Carbon. Uh, so Zuno Carbon, we're a sustainability climate tech company. Uh, we help organizations of all shapes and sizes to uh, essentially track their emissions, uh, put, put out the reports, and also help them decarbonize or help them get towards net zero. Uh, so a bit of background on me. So I don't have as much experience as Lionel, um, uh, but I do have some experience working in the U.S. I was there for about uh, six years. So I worked, again, with startups as well as some more traditional older companies there, all in the tech space. And then since then, uh, moving to Singapore, I also worked here in, um, in an MNC as well as an SME. And now I have my own startup. So I've seen all sides of the spectrum, I would say, in, in both countries. So hopefully I can add some value to this podcast. All right, guys. Thanks for the introduction. I mean, this is topic actually I've been quite interested to host for a while now. I mean, Singapore has established itself as a world-class technology hub. I think currently we hold about 80 of the world's top 100 tech firms. And I think according to the Bloomberg 2021 Innovation Index, we are actually second among the world countries. So you see a lot of American tech firms setting up companies in Singapore. And I think as a recruiter as well, I see a lot of Americans taking up jobs here. So great to understand, you know, firsthand what to expect as a technology professional in both countries. So yeah, with that, I'd like to start with the first question, which is, you know, how is the startup ecosystem different in Singapore and the US? I mean, in terms of talent pool, you know, challenges, funding landscapes. I mean, I would love to hear your views on that. Um, I mean, Harry, you want to start off? Oh, sure. Yeah, I can start off. I, um, it's, it's quite interesting because... Um, Singapore markets itself quite well as a as a incubation or like Springfield for startups, which I think it is in quite a lot of ways. The the government has a lot of initiatives out there to help startups to uh, plant the seeds, get started, and a lot of initiatives and programs for funding as well. Um, and it's not quite the same in the U.S. It's a, it's a very different ballgame. It's very organic, I would say, but a lot more robust. So uh, private institutions will run the show there, and you can see. A, the, there's a reason why Silicon Valley, uh, New York, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, Denver and all these areas have become budding startup scenes because it's 
getting really good talent from universities nearby. Whereas in Singapore, it's not quite the same. You do see a lot more foreign founders moving to Singapore to start their business and bringing more foreign talent into Singapore as well. So that is, I would say, one of the key differences I've seen in terms of talent pool. Um, you don't necessarily see a lot of feeder schools, uh, at least you know, from my perspective. Uh, in terms of the funding landscape, also quite different because uh, I would say it's a lot slower and the way that investors look at businesses is very different in Singapore. Um, one of the things I've heard from a couple of you know, family offices and VCs is that in Singapore, they work backwards from exit. They look at how much could you be worth in five years time? And then how much does that make you worth today? Whereas uh, in my experience working with startups in the US, it's you have an idea, you can go there with a business plan and a white paper and you can raise a million dollars in like five days. Uh, granted, that was back in the early 2010s, but I, I assume this the situation has changed quite a bit. Uh, so that's, that's in terms of the funding landscape. Um, Sorry, what was your third point? <laughs> um, challenges, I guess, I think, for both sides. Yeah, challenges, I think each place has its own set of challenges. Singapore is a very small market, so if you want to be successful, it's either you have to serve, you have to be a B2C a product that serves the Singaporean population. If you're a B2B business, you see most successful ones have to scale, not just within Southeast Asia, but most likely within Asia, securing a stronghold in like Korea or Japan or moving to the US. Uh, whereas in the US, there's enough of a, a market to validate your product to scale up. And I mean, a lot of products you see, but they become unicorns by staying just within the US. And then they think about moving to Asia or Europe. So I think that's a very different, uh, that's, that's one of the challenges of being in Singapore. On the flip side, uh, being in the US, I, I'd, I'd say the competition is a lot more fierce. Um, the people move a lot more faster. So it's definitely um, speed is the name of the game. Whereas in Singapore, you can move a little slower, uh, but because you have support from governments and other institutions, you have a better chance of at least making it to the next round. I wouldn't necessarily say success. Yeah, I mean, interesting point you touched there on the funding. Actually, I know a couple of clients that I work with that actually moved to US because they they thought I think they think it will be much faster to get funding in that in that region. I mean, what I mean, we'd love to hear what Lionel has to say. He's been there for twenty years, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, a bit of background. You know, I, I I did more of my work around scaling startups. So I'm not the zero to one guy, but um, probably the one to a thousand person. Um, and so funding wise, I, I can't really speak, uh, much more than what Harry has already mentioned. I think there's just more money, more, uh, appetite for risk. Um, and I think that, you know, in, in general, if you're in, uh, New York or you're in Silicon Valley, I mean, there's a culture around that. So everyone, um, sort of self-selects into those cities, right? So you get a concentration of people, uh, with the desire, with the talent, with the networks and so on to, to want to start something new. Um, so I think we're starting to see that in Singapore. I mean, Singapore is cool. We're, 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 I think we're the next big thing. Okay, I mean, that, that's my story. I'm sticking with it. Um, I think uh, we we have, uh, like Harry said, um, like enterprise Singapore. Uh, so there there are um, you know government institutions that want to help us grow. Right. I read I read in a recent article that we're also investing a lot in AI because we see that as for the next bound of um, new new startups um, and that requires a lot of investment you know it's not necessarily the same as starting like a social media app right there, there's a lot of deep tech uh and and and, and uh technical resources that, that need to be 
brought to bear. So um, I think it's very positive that the government is doing this. Um, and I think uh, my company has also been a beneficiary of that. Um, so there are funds that ESG um, is providing us for us to explore other markets, um, which brings me to the next point around challenges. It's um, actually, uh, how do you scale in a country with what, 7 million people today, right? Uh, versus uh, you have a market of 300 million in the US with um, a relatively high um, spending power. And I think with that, you know, in Asia, um, it's, it's really challenging because uh, once you leave the shores of Singapore, it's not as favorable business-wise, right? And then you're going to have to do with cross-border issues. You have to do with localization challenges, so on and so forth. Um, and so to me, I think, um, you know, there's this Israeli model where the, the startups are brought, in, brought up and incubated in, in that country, and then they bring it to the U.S. to scale. Yeah, I can see us doing something very similar here. Uh, but then the challenge comes where, you know, what, what product are you trying to sell, right? Are you selling something that is brick and mortar? Like for us, right, it's, it's, it's cars. So it's not so easy to go, hey, let's just go to California <laughs> and start, you know, doing car sharing over there. Um, so, you know, if it's a digital product, if it's something that is easily portable over there, um, it can get viral. I think that's that's probably one of the things that you know I think about as as someone who's on a leadership team here is just how do we break into the other markets? I think I think that the most impressive thing that I've seen uh, in Singapore is the level of talent. Um, I think to Harry's point, you know there there may not be um, this this uh, concentration of schools like in like in the Bay Area of Stanford, your Berkeley, and so on. In New York City, you have all the Ivy Leagues and. Not right, um, and I think that there's a lot to be said about that because even in the U.S., they've tried to replicate these environments in other cities. So, like Research Triangle, right, um, you know, the Raleigh area, that uh, never really took off, um, and it's it's because you know maybe there aren't that many schools, maybe uh, it's that you know that 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 clout of, of going there. It isn't strong enough. Whereas when you look at New York and San Francisco, people leaving their schools wherever they are from, like that's what they want to do. It used to be like, I want to be an investment banker. I want to be a management consultant, right? Like back in the day. Now it's like, I want to be like a startup founder. And so that, that there's that pull into these areas. And and I, I think Singapore could be that. You know, I think we have uh, a society that is, I think, um, very business friendly. I like to think that we're also very entrepreneurial. Um, I think that it's, it's a nice environment to live in, right? So, so there are other perks of, of, of coming here other than business and professional life. I think it's a very nice landing uh, uh, country for people who are English speaking from Western world because you can you can get around with English. You you can have a job here versus you know going to Shanghai, going to Hong Kong, going to Taipei, some of the other countries here. It's 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 hard. There's a language barrier. So Singapore's got a lot going for it. Uh, I, you know, I think um, are we there yet? You know, looking from a product standpoint, it's been very challenging. Uh, for us to hire talent because I think it's still pretty nascent, right? Like this discipline, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a new thing and it's not like you can go to school for it. Um, mm. So whereas in the U.S., it's been around for a while. Um, you know, companies have developed programs for it. You can go to product school and so on. 
So I think I think there's a high ceiling. I think there's potential, um, but but you know we, we've got to we've got to work our way there. Hmm, I agree. Actually, funny you said that about product because I was actually you know I've been in recruitment for about three years now, and I think what I noticed is that most of the PMs they come from US. I think uh, in Singapore, Asia, the, what's very strong here is our tech talent, right? Engineers, developers, data analytics. You know what we lack is um, the commercial talent, which is also why I bring people from overseas in, or why normally the hits. Have overseas experience or come from a different country. I think they also need a leader that is a bit more open-minded. I think Singapore, we try to foster that. We're trying to do that, but I think a lot of people buy the books. Like, hey, I need to go into some sort of you know um, course. I need to learn this, get a degree in this, and move on to this. But it's actually not even a product management course until I think early this year there was one school that started that, and that was it. I didn't even know product management existed until I started recruitment. So yeah, very interesting you said that. I, I totally agree with, you know, I guess the difference um, in terms of talent pool in Singapore as well and US. Um, but, you know, in terms of leadership, I guess, um, what do you think, you know, are the difference between the two countries? I know culture-wise, we are very, very different. Yeah, uh, sorry, what was that for me? Yeah, I'm open to the floor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can start. Um, so what's the difference in leadership style? Mm. Um, it's hard for me to say it because I've only worked for one Singaporean company, right? So, <laughs> was it like a big uh, shift uh, and, and, when you moved down, like from move to into Singapore, like in terms of being a, a leader? Uh, I sort of carried over what I thought were good leadership principles. Um, uh, I, I think maybe back to the topic of, of talent. I think people here are definitely very hardworking. They are um, focused. I, I, I want to not say like buy the book, right? Because I, I do think that they have the ability to do creative and thorough thinking. So it's it's about the leadership that is put in place to enable that. So I, I think there is definitely a respect for authority here. And maybe yeah. because of the military. I don't know. I'm just going with that. Um, it's and so, and so what happens is people will naturally come to me and ask, so, so what do we do now, right? Because they, it's not that they don't have an idea, but it's, it's more of like, well, I, I, I want your, you know, you to tell me. And and so when you flip things around and you say, well, you know, what, what do you think? What are your recommendations? And if you were me, what would you do? And invite that conversation. People are, are more than capable of coming up with um, ideas of their own and and they, they, they can be very creative. So, you know, I, I think um, I, I still try to maintain the, the same leadership uh, expectations as I do in the U.S. Uh, I want people to be thinkers, especially in the product role. Um, there's no right answer to a lot of what we do. Um, and I think it's maybe just adjusting it to, to be a little bit more, um, to solicit the, the, the inputs a little bit more than, uh, you know, in the U.S. where I think people may, may be a little bit more bold and, and assertive about their ideas. Mm. Yeah, no, it's uh, <clears throat> it's quite, you know, you hit the nail on the head because uh, having worked under leadership in the U.S. and Singapore and also having worked as a, as a manager and a leader in both countries, uh, one of the things I observed is uh, in Singapore, there's there's a expectation almost that your manager at the end of the day dictates what gets done. For the, this is I'm not saying it's all always the case, but it is the case for the most part. And um, having worked in an MNC, I kind of experienced both sides because there are some younger leaders who come in and, and their approach is this is the overall vision. I'll tell you guys think and innovate and figure out how to get there the best way. So essentially empowering you know the rest of the team to do what they do best. 
And then the other hand, you see other people coming in and say, hey, this is how I want it done. This is what I want it done by. And you see a, an interesting trickle-down culture because then the rest of the managers do the same thing to their subordinates. And then you, you have people saying, sorry, staying in the office till like 7 p.m. just because the manager is there. So you see that, that, and that's like the worst thing that I've that I've personally experienced in terms of management. Um, and then on the flip side in the US, it's it's more the, the former where uh, they maybe, I mean, sometimes this might not be nice for, for people who are just starting out their career, but a lot of times they just put you out in the deep end and figure and help let you figure out what you want to do and the best way to do it. Then there is guidance, obviously, but um, it, it allows you to think outside the box sometimes. It allows you to figure out, you know, your working style. And I think that's that's a great thing. And that's some of the things that we've tried to um, implement when we started Zuno as well. Uh, but a few of the challenges, and this goes back to talent as well. I think the way that um, the universities here, as well as the scholarships and, and most companies operate, there is that, that hierarchical structure where they expect whoever is right above you to approve your work. So there's also a safety net. So it goes both ways, right? And that is something that we've been trying to get rid of because the moment there's a safety net, they can always be like, okay, this is what I'm able to do. And now if there's a gap between what we do and your expectations, then that's up to you. So that's a barrier that I've seen a lot of companies struggle to break. And it's, it's an interesting challenge because it's with every employee, it's a different approach. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been like one of the key things, differences in leadership, but I mean, Singapore has, has evolved so much and I've only been here four years, but from what I'm seeing, even the big companies are taking, um, like a shift in the way they approach things. So one example is like my wife works for the government. So it's, you know, the, the absolute bureaucracy, right? That's what it's supposed to be. Uh, but even there, they've, they've been innovating the ways that they were doing performance reviews, asking not just for feedback from above, but from around you and below you. And um, I think it's great because it helps things move faster. It helps people enjoy their work a lot more. So yeah, I think there, there's a lot of progress in the right direction. And then kind of going back to what Lionel mentioned earlier as well, regarding the, the talents and their expectations, it's another shift we've seen because uh, in the US, when we were recruiting for startups, people were willing to take no pay and like a ton of equity, right? And they were like, "Give me, I will take as much equity as I can get. In Singapore, sometimes you see yourself forcing people to take equity. They're like, please just supplement your pay with equity. Um, because it's not something that they're used to, right? It's not usually the, your total compensation is your base pay, your 13th month bonus, and your performance bonus. And when it comes to startups, it's, it's very different. What's an ESOP pool? There's all these questions that come up. And when it's unfamiliar, then you don't really opt for it. But again, that's changing a lot now. Um, more and more startups are recruiting. Even the big companies are handing out option pools. So yeah, a lot of positive change in that area. Hopefully, you know, in another year or two, um, will become a thriving hub for that as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I think when I, when I first started working, I've been working in Singapore all the way. I think it was a very hierarchical culture. So like, should I do this? Am I scared of this? Should I call this client? What if I, you know, mess up? But like, I, I realized that when I moved into a more, I guess, um, Western own uh, Western boss who manages me now, it, you you also kind of it also kind of affects your communication. Like you're not scared of saying what you feel, which is what I was doing my past few years. Was like I knew this was wrong, and I was just like, okay, you know, he thinks it's right, so it's okay. But yeah, communication in Singapore and US, I think, must be quite different. I think there they're pretty vocal, right? Am I right? Yeah, I think I think for the most part we, we we can say that, and I think the U.S. is also very big, so it really mm -hmm. depends on what industry you work in, which coast, right? So um, the funny anecdote that I've heard from people in New York versus uh, San Francisco, right? Like you know, just kind of 
riffing off the, the the kind of mentality where you have to stay there until your boss leaves kind of thing i mean that's that, that's also an east coast thing so what i heard was like you know new yorkers like they they work very hard and they make sure that everyone knows that they work really hard right it's like this badge of honor right and then you have the west coast guys you know they work really hard but they work very hard at making sure people don't think they're working that hard because they want to come off as chill <laughs> I don't know, Gary. Yeah, I've, I've I've seen that firsthand. <laughs> so I have I have friends working at tech companies in in New York who um, are always talking about how they've been in the office at 11 p.m. But not necessarily because of their boss. But there's that optics. I don't know why, but that in these and maybe trickling down from investment banking, right, where they're always working. Uh, but then in San Francisco, most of my friends are always talking about rock climbing and bouldering and and all that and how they get off of work at like 3 p.m. So yeah, I think I think there's also a spectrum within the US and also it depends on the industry. So tech industry, I think is one of the best places to work no matter what, where in the world you are. But if you look at other things like the service industry or even like customer support within tech, I think some of the, the more antiquated and traditional ways of management that we still see in some of the older firms in Singapore are there everywhere, even in the US. Um, where whatever your boss says is final, they don't really tolerate you talking back to them. So it's not necessarily a geography thing. I think it's just it's just the way that the world used to work, and tech just evolves faster in general. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I understand. Yes, I mean, that just now you mentioned that when you came to Singapore, you had to bring some of your, I guess, the, the better leadership, um, I guess, strategies to, to your current company. I mean, you want to share a bit more about that? Was it tough to implement them? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think, you know, people generally like having more autonomy. So, so at, at get go, we think about four different things that really make the people thrive, uh, autonomy, purpose, mastery, and belonging. So we, we work very hard as managers to make sure that we're staying on top of these things. I have, uh, one-on-one skip levels at least once a quarter. Um, and I, I it's really a, a way for me to just understand, you know, where they feel um, they're doing as it relates to these things. So usually if I get two out of four, I'm like, okay, you know, I did a pretty decent job now. Um, <laughs> and, and it's really hard to get four out of four because it really depends on um, the role, you know, how, how busy it is or whatever they, they happen to be working on. Um, and, and also some people, you know, while they believe that they want autonomy, which is something that I think Americans do usually identify with, they may not be ready for the autonomy. Right. So, so people worry about certain decisions where they have to um, accept the risks that come with it. Because if you make a decision, you are also blessed with the accountability of that decision. So, so that's, that's, you know, where, where, where I think, um, you know, I think it's, it's something that we, we, we kind of collated uh, and get go at these other four things to look at. But I think it also aligns pretty well with what I was taught and how I was managed uh, in, in the US. And Harry, I think for you as well, I think as you're also a CEO and founder, I think to establish that kind of leadership early on in the company is pretty important. Do you have any challenges or any tips for any founders or potential founders? Yeah, I think a couple of the things that uh, we really emphasize is the first thing is the flight hierarchy, right? We want to make sure that everyone in the organization is accessible, uh, no matter like how small the matter may be. Um, and it's, it's great because that means people are not scared of their boss or their boss's boss or whatever that is but on the flip side you also run the risk of everyone coming to you with everything all the time uh and 
I think it's a, it's a good problem to have, in my opinion. It's just a matter of, and that means you as a founder or as you know a leader have to defend your time as well. And uh, that's another thing I think Singapore could learn a lot from the U.S. or actually could learn even better from Europe. It's about have clear demarcations with when am I working, when am I available, and this is my time, don't disturb me. Um, so I think that's 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 one of the biggest challenges, especially when you're running your own business. You're very inclined to just work all the time, be available, address all the problems all the time. But um, burnout is very very much a thing when you do that, you do that because you're just working all the time. So that's one of the challenges, and the other one is is uh, something Lionel touched on. It's accountability, right? Um, when when you give people the freedom to innovate and come up with their own solutions, um, you need to inform them that it also means they're accountable for whatever they pull, whatever they come up with. And that's that can be challenging, especially for people just entering the workforce. If you hire fresh grads, right, they're used to being in school where a group project, the worst thing you can happen is not get a good grade. Whereas this, the worst thing that could happen is you could take down a production server or you could cost like millions in revenue, right? So that um, teaching people that accountability can be quite challenging, especially if they're coming uh, either if they've been working in a very traditional setting for a lot of years or if they're new to entering this area. Um, and usually in, in the US, I would say most people who come to work at startups either previously worked at startups, you know, they usually kind of just continue that in that realm. Because uh, from my experience, most of my friends and colleagues who worked at bigger tech companies usually just hop around, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Netflix, that that whole area. So the people working in startups know what's involved in and know what to expect. But in Singapore, it's different. A lot of people are switching into startups. So there's that, that I would say, realignment of the mindset that's a bit challenging. Yeah, actually, I see that a lot as well. I think a lot of people are like, okay, we can't do the, the, the culture and the MNC, you know, hierarchical kind of thing. We want to go into a startup, but they're not ready for like the other responsibilities you have to hold. I feel like when you join a startup as the first product manager or the first like analyst, you got to take up other functions. And they're like, this is not what's in the job scope. You know, this is what not, I didn't expect they have to do this. And I was like, look, you, you want to be bossed around or you want to be your own boss and work for it. And you, know, you normally face people who are doing that. Yeah, so super interesting yeah. to hear from your side. I mean, especially as a recruiter, I think a lot of the people, most people that I see reach out to come into Singapore from the US. I think there's like a kind of like a, I don't know what it is, but maybe like a, almost like a, a lot of people's goal is to end up in Asia and and especially in Singapore because it's the hub of technology. And you guys came in recently, right? I mean, so what is what is your, I guess, advice for technology professional, professionals that are moving or preparing to move into Singapore? Does it live up to the dream? <laughs> it's an interesting question. Got to think about that. <laughs> Long pause there. <laughs> it's National Day in a week. <laughs> Only good things. No, there's there's just too many things that I have to boil down the list. That's why. <laughs> I mean, coming. I mean, I mean, Lionel, coming back from US, was it? Ex- were you expecting? I think was this what you expected in terms of the work workforce or technology scene? Uh, quite honestly, I had no idea what to expect. Because um, I, you know, you read about the tech team here. I hear from my friends, um, you know, the the people who uh, I went to school with in Singapore. They all had started in their own startup, but all of them sort of fell back into you know the the, the typical professions. Um, but uh, I also know that the government is is really behind it, and if any government could do it, I say it'd be this one. <laughs> Um, I, I think you know, to, to Harry's earlier point, we have 
very strong, technically sound people. Whereas in the U.S., it's harder to find those people. Um, I have been especially impressed by uh, the data science interns we were able to bring in, because not only can them do can, can they do the data engineering data science piece, they can write. So you know, you give them a problem to solve. They don't just solve it in a silo and come back to you with you know whatever stats they got. They come back and interpret it for you and tell you like, oh well, you know maybe you need to optimize your fleet this way. Maybe you know you should follow up by looking at location versus like your know, demographic or something else, right? Like there, there's that ability to take what you've given them a lot further. That that to me was impressive.、Um, in the U.S., I think because. You know this 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 war for talent. Like you know, even at Amazon, like everyone wants to work there. It's a big name, but even so, we can't get enough strong technical talent there. So then, within a big company, you know the 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 quality can vary a lot, right? I, I have data scientists that、um, just want to do data science. So. In order for us to be successful as a team, I have to pair them up with a, a you know a data engineer. I have to bring in a, a business intelligence engineer. I have to bring in a business analyst. Well, like do all this gymnastics so that I can get a product out. Versus like the ones that I've been working with here, it's like one person. That's all I need. And and to me, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if this kind of answers the question about how it prepares me, but I think it it surprised me in a very good way.、Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's my two cents on that. Yeah, I mean, in terms of demand and looking for good talent, I think there's a problem everywhere. I think in Singapore, especially, it's a very there's a lot of good talent, but also it's it's a very well known community, so it's very well networked. So sometimes you feel like I kind of want to reach out to this guy, but I also kind of know his boss, or I kind of know someone that knows him, and you know, it's like a and people here are nice. Like, I think in US, people don't care, and people in Singapore are nice. They、like, don't want to offend anyone in terms of hiring. I'm not sure if. I only briefly was in the U.S. in terms of working there, so I know that it's a it's a cutthroat environment. If they want you, they want you. They're gonna get you, right? But in Singapore, they're like, okay, we need to not hire people from here because I kind of know this guy and I know this guy, and like then you have to also avoid like kind of like the the network and see you know who is alright and also who is good. I mean, in high, have you guys hired in U.S. before? Is it as you know? Highly networked in Singapore, where you have to be selective of where you get talent from, or you know, you just take what you want. <laughs>、uh, I I mean, honestly, I think I think it's、uh, I'm not sure I, I necessarily agree. I think people in the U.S. are very nice as well, right? So、uh, the only thing I would say is there's a very they're pretty good at separating business from from you know, the other parts of the relationship. Where so even if you are hiring from someone you know as company, it's not the end of the world. It's just at the end of the day, they were looking for a job, so that's why I hired him, right? So there's that. And okay, I will caveat this. It's very different if the other person's a founder. So if I know another founder and I hire one of their employees, that's a no-no. That's that's like bordering on unethical. But if it's I mean bordering on breaking the moral code of founders, I would say not unethical.、Uh, but <laughs> On the other hand, like if it's a big company and I'm and I know the manager and I'm hiring someone, I don't necessarily I've done that, so I don't necessarily think it's it's too much of a big deal. I'm still friends with the person.、Um, whereas even in Singapore, I I feel like the difference is yes, there's a lot more of a network effect than I experienced in the U.S. Probably because it's a much smaller community, right? Because you have a a pool of what like 80 million people to pick from versus a pool of a million people to pick from. So inevitably, you'll you'll bump the circles that you know. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, yes, you know, um, I, I don't know if it's about people being nice or not. I think they're nice people here, they're nice people there, but they're also all the other kinds of people everywhere, right? Uh, uh, I think, uh, I, I think, you know, Harry's right. It's, um, it's a bit of how we look at business. So, uh, my experience in the U.S. is, is there is a, there's a lot you know, that, that, um, you observe, like, you know, is this a professional conversation or is this a friendly one? Right. And so I think in general, um, people don't mix those things up. Uh, so, so I can, I can fire you as your boss, but we'll still grab drinks later. Right. Like that, that's a thing, you know, um, and it's nothing personal. And if, if you were laid off, right. Like what we try to do is we, we try to land you somewhere. You know, especially mm. if we're close, right? And, and I think people do that here too. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think uh, if I talk from my big tech experience in Amazon, it can get like a little dicey sometimes where like I'm trying to bring over like a really strong person from like a different team. Uh, and I happen to know the manager, right? But then lateral transfers are definitely something that the whole company like, you know, is supportive of. So then it's it's like, hey, how do you approach the subject to, to the manager like hey, this person came you know they they're interested in a role here uh, are you okay with that I think ultimately what I like about Americans is like it's more open you can talk about things and you can also you know and, and everyone wants the best for, for one another right um I don't I don't know I, I never experienced anything like this in uh, Singapore not not yet I think a lot of people who've, who've, who've come over I, I haven't been here that long, so I don't I don't know who they used to work for or who they're working for. Uh, but but that's something that may, may, maybe uh, you know it's, it's good that you brought it up. And I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I'm more careful about how I approach such subjects here. No, I think I'll Actually, I have a sorry. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I don't know. I was going to say, I have a very recent anecdote. So our, our product manager that we hired, she was actually managing our account on a, on a partner site. So we brought her over. And it was interesting because we went to an event at their office and uh, her supervisor was was very happy that she was joining our team. So it was uh, that was not what I was expecting, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. that, that I think when you join the right company with the right leadership, they actually are happy when, you know, if you don't leave on a bad time, they're actually really happy for you to move on and learn new things, which is something that I'm actually getting used to. I think last time I was in a very, you know, very hierarchical, very old school kind of company where you don't even dare let your boss know you're sick, that kind of company. And now you move here and you're okay sharing, you know, about, you know, maybe you want to move into this new function or learn something new, which they're very open about, which, yeah, something that I, Definitely would encourage people to find if they are stuck in my old situation. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I think that's that's a good mentality to have, right? So so the one thing that I really appreciated my American bosses saying to me when I joined is they go like, "Hey, we're not going to BS each other here, right? Like you like to say that you want to be here forever in your life, or and I like to tell you we like to have you forever, but that's not true. So let's just you know cut to the chase here, right? If it comes to a point where you outgrow us, let me know and we'll like you know transition properly or, or vice versa right like where you're not keeping up i'll let you know and 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 that's something that i think is very healthy and it's something that i, I have brought with the, me to singapore when i bring on new people right like it's it's just reality yeah that's what i read as a recruiter like i think people in singapore i'm not sure i only I, from what on my on my base that i've spoken to people they a lot of them really care about their like care about handing down it handing down their work properly 
they, they would tell me that, okay, I need to have a month or two, you know, just because I need to make sure everything is handed down before I leave, which just shows how much they care about their job. I think when you see people with good leadership teams, right, they normally are, they love their company as their own, which is something that I really notice when I talk to people, especially product guys. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing to add on between the US and Singapore. I mean, I would to hear what you guys think are the, you know, up and coming trends in the technology space. I know, be it Singapore or US, I think it's pretty similar in terms of technology. I mean, what do you guys see? What are your thoughts on, you know, AI, blockchain? I think those are the most highly talked about, you know, trends now. Maybe maybe I can backtrack a little bit before we move on. Oh, but, oh sorry. Uh, just one one more thing when it comes to like uh, the last thing you're talking about, talent and like letting people go and all that. One of the biggest differences is the notice periods. I've seen three month notice periods mm-hmm. for junior employees here, which is just insane. Um, in the US, two weeks is was standard for like entry level and then up to a month maybe. But uh, the number of times that we've had to offer to buy out a notice period here is just insane. So that's that's a key difference. Yeah, I think US is two weeks, right? Singapore is, I think if you earn a certain range or you're like of a C management level, it's three months normally. Yeah. Like all but the bigger seen, tech like, companies, we've seen two months. Junior, yeah, we've seen junior employees making like four or five K with a three month notice period, which is just unfair in my opinion. <laughs> I think a yeah, lot of I mean, those that, companies, that was a surprise yeah, they try to retain their, their, their younger, because the younger generation do like to hop around a lot. So they do try to retain them by giving them a really long notice because you'll wait three months for a, a CMO or, you know, a head of, head of strategy, but you won't wait yeah. three months for a, a junior data analyst, right? Or a, a junior, you know, sales engineer. You wouldn't wait that long for them. So they try to give, try to extend the notice period. I realize bigger company, I don't want to say their names, but we know certain companies who have strict notice periods for everyone, regardless, where, regardless of what role they have. Um, in US and, and um, Australia that we also work with, they, they are very fast, two weeks and they're done, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, you, yeah, so people have a thing, thing through their, their moves quite a bit here in Singapore. And they always have options going on, right? A couple of options. <laughs> yeah, I think one last point on that. I think, uh, you know, we're very employer friendly in Singapore. Is that good or bad? Well, no, no, it's good. It is. Well, it depends on you. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, but I will say this, for bigger companies to fire an employee is also very difficult. So in that sense, MOM's doing a pretty good job of protecting employers and employees. Um, but I mean, like, this is just my two cents, right? If you have a three-month notice period and you've put your notice in, how much, like, actual value will you add as a junior employee over those three months when you know you're on your way out? So those those are, like, a few of the things. So we try to, we try to also minimize that, and that's, I think, one of the things... I liked about the US because once you quit, you have two two weeks to mm. get your stuff together and then you're out. That way you don't have to worry about malpractice, people like, you know, taking stuff off of computers. You know, the number of times in Singapore where I've heard a bigger company that I've worked with or worked for, they laid off someone and then in the three, two months that they're waiting, they're like, oh, this person sent so many emails out of their personal, out of their work email to personal. So that there's a lot, a lot less room for that, I guess, if, if it's a shorter, because it works both ways, right? For employer and employee. But yeah. Yeah, the funny thing about junior, I guess, more younger, um, I guess people who just enter the workforce, they don't actually take notice of their notice period. I'm not sure <laughs> that's the people I speak to. When I'm like, hey, what's your notice? They're like, I think it's one month. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's two months, like your company. And they were like, I need to go and check. And they're like, oh, it's two months. I'm like, you didn't know what you signed? Like, 
you know what, what cultural structure you're all on or anything, they didn't really understand it. I think what Singapore can especially do is also kind of educate us on how to enter the workforce. Like a lot of things that we don't know to look out for, you know, do we deserve insurance, you know, things like that. Yeah, so I had to educate a lot of younger, younger, younger work, I guess, professionals in this space about that. Um, yeah, I mean, do you guys have anything else to add on? <laughs> Alright, so let's move on to like, it's the last question, which is um, trends, I guess. And normally I do ask this at the end of podcast, so I would love to hear what you guys think. I mean, you guys are all from, both from different industries. I would love to understand what you, what you see in the next five years in the tech space, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, in this car sharing mobility space, the trends I pay most attention to is around um, autonomous vehicles and electrification. I mean, those are the things that um, we constantly think about. I think it's great that uh, Singapore has um, drawn lines and taken the ground to say that, hey, by 2040, we should only have meetings on the road, right? Um, which is great because when the government moves, then all of us have to comply. But that gives us sort of a north star to, to, to push towards. And, um, you know, what, what we have done at GetGo is we have now made a sizable investment into purchasing EVs for ourselves. Um, and also we are um, on the forefront of trying to make it work from a car sharing perspective, right? Because EVs require a lot more maintenance from a charging standpoint. So how do you make that work operationally and, and keep costs low? Otherwise, I'm deploying like, you know, operators all the time to go and charge all the EVs across the country. Like if we get to a point of like 2,000 EVs, it becomes not a very sustainable business. So um, I, I'm glad that, you know, this trend is, is, is worldwide. It's happening here. There's a commitment um, to push more charging providers to be distributed across the country. Um, and it forces companies like mine to, to become more innovative in, in how we address um, the operational challenges with this. I think with autonomous vehicles um, in Singapore, it's, uh, you know, not legal uh, yet. Um, I'm curious when. I, I think Singapore would be great for it in, in, in a lot of ways, and maybe in some ways not so great. But the good things are, you know, our roads are well maintained, right? Like you're, <laughs> and that that helps a lot. Um, and I think uh, you know we, we have the ability to um, recover vehicles uh, because it's it's a smaller footprint or, or landscape geography, right? Um, Whereas I think uh, in the U.S., they, they're actually a, a little bit more, uh, I would say, lenient, open. I don't know what the right word is, but um, there are states where they are already testing these, these vehicles. Um, Waymo, I think, operates legally in Arizona now. Um, so a friend of mine like, uh, he just came back from Arizona two weeks ago. He hopped in this driverless taxi and you know had a video of him sitting in the backseat and the steering wheel kind of moving on its own. So I, you know, I wonder uh, when that would hit our shores uh, because it would completely disrupt mobility, right? Like, yeah, for then sure. Why would you still want to drive? You know, what, what is that use case for driving? Um, you know, what, how does it look like from ride hailing? Right? What happens to the Ubers of the world? Uh, you know, how does it impact micro mobility? Right, it's, 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 it's less expensive to get new to the last mile in larger countries or, or even in the city traffic. Mm, this could really change the business models of, of um, uh, Uber, Lyft, uh, as well as our, our company. So th those are kind of things that I try to stay on top of. And um, I don't have a perspective on it. I, I just I know. think that it's, it's, it's something that could really change the way we, we, we travel. 
Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Autonomous driving, I think that would definitely change the game for a lot of companies like that. I think Singapore's a bit or you know, not as open to change. I think I was talking to a friend about this as well, and I was like, why he has a Tesla and he's like not allowed to use the, the driving, the self-driving um, feature. And he's like, apparently what they said was that if they got into an accident, like who do they blame? The car or you? You know? Like that was one of the debates that they had, which I don't know, we'll see how it plays out. Singapore is becoming a bit more open. And yeah, for Harry, I guess, wanted to also dive into your industry. I think carbon is definitely up and coming. Um, I see a lot of startups starting, I think, the last two years. We'd love to hear yeah. your thoughts on this. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, even though we're in very different industries, it's very much related to what I know said. Like, electrification is a result of sustainability and their, the sustainability directives that the governments have put out. So um, I think, in general, there's a... Uh, there's a very much a hype around sustainability right now, which is why you see more and more companies popping up. But thankfully, or, and the sustainability goals and everything that are set for the next 20, 30, 40 years. So it's not like it's going anywhere anytime soon. So that's that's a good thing for our industry. And it's good to see that more and more companies are embracing this rather than trying to fight it. Um, and if you look, I mean, when we started this company back in 2020, it was very different because companies were interested to think about sustainability. But if you mm-hmm. had to spend money, if you had to... Uh, invest into it if there were change management involved that's the end of it but now you see more and more companies actively looking for ways that it can be greener uh, be it for you know consumers that are demanding it investors or even just to, just to hit like national targets so that's that's great to see and even in terms of talent pool we're seeing so many people enter the sustainability sector uh, when we hired our first sustainability analyst back in 2021 um, we had nine applicants total and with any experience and then in our most recent um recent hiring exercise we did last year it was closer to 400 applicants so you can see there's a huge influx of people i mean they might be entering this industry newly but the interest is there so that's that's pretty cool to see um and you know being a tech company we can't we can't ignore ai either it's like a critical conversation that everyone's having and we've always believed that data is is the crux to any successful, sustainable, and scalable business. So we've prioritized that from day one. But then again, there's there's the hype cycle again, right? When we started out, AI hype had just died, so people didn't care much. And then now suddenly it's back. So uh, it's it's very interesting to see how these things play out. And then the same thing with talent. You can see the um, the inflow of talent coming and going based on these hype cycles as well. So. My hope is that, you know, both these things, the, we've managed to get some good people on board. We've managed to, you know, see some good progress in terms of the way Singapore is evolving towards these these two areas. You know, as Lionel said earlier, they're investing heavily into AI and we're seeing the results of that in such great data scientists coming here, not just from Singapore, but, you know, people overseas are coming into Singapore to take up these jobs. So, yeah, it was very cool to see. I think I think both of these sectors will be something that will be predominant in um, conversations for the next at least five years. Mm, and and one of the ask, I guess, oh, your opinion. Do you think you know your CCS technology? The demand is different in different countries. You think is if you had done it in Australia, would it very very, you know, environmental friendly in comparison to Singapore, which is a bit less? I mean, you think the demand will be been different? That was the line of work. Well, that's for you. <laughs> oh, sorry, yes. I, I didn't. I, I cut off yeah. a bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, think... talking. We're not we're not necessarily restricting ourselves in Singapore. We've been um, oh. marketing in the region outside as well. The 
I don't think the the sustainability aspect changes much. It's more of like a maturity and a mindset thing. So if you if we're selling to companies in the U.S., uh, it goes back to the risk appetite. They're willing to try new things. Whereas in Singapore, when we we sell to bigger companies, the first thing is what's your track record? How many big companies have you worked with? Show me your case studies. So that that changes a bit. So this I think the scalability aspect and how quickly you can secure accounts might change. But the matter of the fact is, if there is a need, it doesn't matter what geography it is. Customers will buy your product. So that's the philosophy that we're choosing to believe, and that helps us, you know, further the agenda. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. thanks for sharing. I mean, super lovely to have you guys. I mean, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And of course, if you're interested to hear more, we have a whole series of podcasts on our Spotify and our SoundCloud. And if you're interested to be a contributor, feel free to reach out to me. Have a great day, everyone. Mm-hmm.